I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys. Hey Marty. Hi Marty. Uh, could I get the Hedersid report uh, before dude and send me that uh, spreadsheet with the uh, spring forecast numbers? Man, Marty, you sound horrible. You must have that cold that's going around. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, my aunt Gladys in Pittsburgh has something like that. Mm-hmm. A ceiling tile fell on her head when she sneezed and it made her blind on the right side. So she drives with her head turned to the left, and she's been T-boned like six times in the last month. Her pelvis is fractured now. She has to lean on her Great Dane, Doogie Hauser, like a walker to get anywhere. Totally sucks. It's probably what you have. That, that has nothing to do with me. We're an organ. Yeah, my friend Janice got something like that, Marty. She has a, a mustache. She's always itching. It's like a weird monkey skin virus or something. She lives in Kenya, but I think you might have that. I don't want to shock you, but that's totally going around. Okay, h- how would I get a monkey virus? Well, but- you can't be too careful, Marty. It's spreading. There's no way to stop it, you know, because of the internet and stuff. You shouldn't even be here, Marty. Look, I know what you mean. Maybe I'll go home. No, no, my neighbor's kid, Booker, came down with this thing that turned his entire head blue. He ate something? I don't know. There's a spot on your shirt that looks like that, Marty. It's totally going around. I think he might have had a dry cleaning bag over his head. Oh, my God, Shirley. I saw that on the news. That kid died. (gasps) Booker is dead? Little Booker? Oh, I was just trying to talk to him out on his front lawn this morning. I thought he was being kind of quiet. I was going to remove the bag, but you can never be too careful about germs. It must be going around. Oh, my God, Marty. (gasps) You're going to die. Marty, I'm going to miss you so much. Marty, you're so young. What is what? We have to get you to a hospital. This thing is totally going around. (gasps) What if it's contagious? (gasps) Guys, 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 I'm not going to die. You're you're not going to die. You're just idiots. I saw the doctor this morning. It's nothing. He says it's nothing. It's a local bug that just alters your brain chemistry for a couple years. It's, it's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, where what's going around comes around, or something like that, it's Livewire, and now it's the host of Livewire, her enthusiasm's contagious, and so's her sparkling influenza, Courtney Hameister! 
to the show, everybody. We've got an amazing show for you tonight. You were probably wondering how to define Americana, and we somehow sensed that, so we have the man to do it tonight. Kurt B. Riley, the author of The United States of Americana, is with us tonight. We also have playwright, musician, and now investigator on the History Channel's popular show, Decoded. Christine McKinley is with us. And, yeah, she's very... She's very smart and also attractive. And our favorite indie punk band is back tonight. The Thermals are with us tonight. But first, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Trisha Ferguson, the lovely Siren of Sound, Pachanowski, and as usual, poet Scott Poole, author of Hiding from Salesmen. Scott will take one single hour, the amount of time it took Dr. Seuss to sneedle and flunnel his zummers, to write a poem that encompasses all that we have learned tonight. So welcome, Scott, and please get writing. And in for Ralph Huntley is Mr. Jim Brunberg and the Mutton Chops. To the show, I would like um, I'd like to interrupt this show to send a personal message to the U.S. House of Representatives. Dear House members, your first act this session was to pass legislation that made last year's health care legislation null and void. I realize the Senate or the President would never approve of it, but as a member of a community of artists who are almost all uninsured, I took slight offense to it, and I wanted to let you know. I mean, I don't want to sound mean or anything. Um, But then more recently, uh, you passed a budget that took all funding, every penny, hundreds of millions of dollars from both Planned Parenthood and public radio. So here's my question. Uh, Here's my question, House members. Um... What exactly did I do to piss you off? Uh, Did we have a conversation that I don't remember? Because the last time we talked, it was, I don't know, last year sometime, and we seemed totally cool. But now you are clearly attacking me personally. Like, everything I like to do. Like, when I have the flu, I like to see a doctor, and I I like to have that covered. I remember I told you that. Um, you You remember what else I like? Cervical exams. You know I love those. We just talked about it at that last, like, meet all 435 of your representatives mixer, remember? And I was all like, I'm going to Planned Parenthood for a cervical exam next week, and I'm really excited. And you were all like, you should do that, because we also love healthy cervixes. And then I told you how much I loved getting a paycheck for my radio job, and you were all, we love getting paid too. And I really felt like we had that in common. And now I feel like you are ripping my paycheck right out of my hands. You are so totally two-faced. I am never telling you anything about myself again. Because clearly all you're going to do is use that information to take something away from me that I... Um, or... 
actually, wait, you know what? Um, no, I'm going to, you know what? I feel like, I feel like talking more. I'm just going to tell you what I'm into right now. Uh, first of all, war. <laughs> um, I cannot get enough of it. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, the whole like killing thing with the people and the, uh, it rules. I just, if I could get more of that, I would love it. Um, oh, do you know what else I love? Uneducated children. Like, I just, I find their lack of knowledge and their use of malapropisms entertaining. So I would love to have more of them running around. That's so fun. Um, and then, oh, also, you know who I love? I think that Mike Huckabee is a charmer. And that guy would make an awesome president. Um, so that would be awesome. Anyway, that's just what I'm into right now, House of Representatives. So let's just check in again in a few months, and maybe we can hang out again soon. Stay cool. Love, Courtney. Our musical guest tonight is a band that Portland, Oregon is very proud to call their own. The Thermals formed almost a decade ago when Hutch, Harris, and Kathy Foster ditched their folk duo Hutch and Kathy for something slightly louder. Uh, Sub Pop released their first album, recorded in Hutch's kitchen in 2003, and their most recent record, Personal Life, features drummer Weston Glass and a second collaboration with early producer Chris Walla of Death Cab for Cutie. Here with a song from that record, please welcome The Thermals.
follow my voice like you know me, like you know me. Fall in the sea, fall in the noise like you know me, like you know me. Follow my call, follow my voice. Fall in the sea, fall in the noise. Never listen to me, never listen to me. Follow the sound. Sources at IFC have indicated that Portlandia has been picked up for another season. The sketch comedy show skewered this largely liberal, hipstery, slacker barista-infused town during its first season. And it's caused an apparent shift in the lifestyles of the city's inhabitants. Our on-the-street reporter, Carla Jimenez, has more on the story. Carla! Thanks, Timmers. If you look around Portland, it's a very different city than it was just a few months ago. That was when we talked with members of stereotypical citizens of Portland, Oregon, concerned about being lampooned on Portlandia or Scopapa Blop. Hmm. Scopapa Blop, huh? That's what I said, Timmers. Don't make me say it again. The group was led by Bodie Love Dragon, who runs a cruelty-free pest control service for community gardens. At the time, he was known as the Slug Whisperer. But it appears that in an attempt not to be mocked on national television, Portland citizens, like the members of this group, have attempted to become normal people. Interesting. Can you define normal, Carla? Well, I'm here outside of what used to be Stumptown Roasters Coffee Shop, an independent coffee house that only served fair trade organic coffee made from house roasted beans. It's now a Dunkin' Donuts, offering up Sanka and General Foods International coffees. To my right, the former Bodie Love Dragon, now known as Bill Langdon. Bill! I understand you're an accountant. I am, and I love it. I love it so much. And you're wearing a suit. It is. It, it is a suit. And it's very comfortable and not the least bit itchy or binding or fabric prison-like. So, you're feeling great then? Absolutely. It's like a second skin. 
which I don't mean in like a Silence of the Lambs kind of way because you know, that would be alternative, which I decidedly am not. Hmm, okay. Well, we also have Kip Schnitzer here, former poet and inventor of the tall cumbent bike. Kip, I understand this is your Hummer. Is this a recent purchase? Uh, no. I've, I've had this baby for years. And, you know, I think what I like most about the Hummer is, well, all the fossil fuels that it burns, you know. Because I hate fossils. And the earth and things. See, that, that's really strange, Kip, because I have this videotape of you just two weeks ago on your tall cumbent bike. <laughs> a bike? Come on, I, I don't ride a bike. What am I, 12 years old? Come on. Mm-hmm. No, but um, th- isn't this also you getting off your bike and shepherding a line of ants safely off the roadway and out of harm's way? No, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure what we're looking at here is me bending down to pick up a quarter because uh, I sure do love the money and being employed and... Not being in a band. Oh, admit it, Kip. You are a Portlander. You are an underemployed, poetry-slamming Buddhist barista in four bands, and you cry alligator tears in your Hummer every night, which you then use in your hydroponic weed garden. Please, please, just leave me, leave me alone to enjoy my sanka in peace. <sighs> okay, fine. Thank you. No, no, no. Go ahead. Take a sip. Enjoy. God, I can't do it. Please don't make me. Please don't make me drink. I knew it. This doesn't prove anything. Come on. You can't prove that. Come on, Bodie. Hurry up. Get in. Get in, Bodie. How do you start this Hummer? I I saw this in a movie once. Turn that silver dealie in the thing. Wait. Wait. Oh, damn it. We seem to have lost our story, Timmers. Here in what used to be Portland, Oregon, I'm Carla Jimenez. You're listening to Livewire Radio. With music, conversation, and comedy, we're like a great date, but without the part where you're obsessing about whether there's something in your teeth. And there is. There's something in your teeth. You're welcome. Coming up, Americana expert Kurt B. Riley, History Channel investigator Christine McKinley, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Livewire. 
Next up on the show is a writer, a DJ, and an entertainer. His work has appeared in Rolling Stone, it's appeared in Details, and The Advocate, and he can be heard every week on KEXP as DJ El Toro. He's the author of Marilyn Manson and Looking for the Perfect Beat, The Art and Culture of the DJ. Tonight, he's brought his latest book, United States of Americana, a field guide to the new American roots movement. He's a man who's not afraid to say that he can knit a mean sweater if the situation arises. Please welcome Kurt B. Riley to Livewire. Um, chapter nine of my book is about crafts and the DIY handmade movement, and this is a piece about that movement uh, that was originally published in The Stranger. It's called Don't Look Behind the Couch. Crafts promote creativity, engender peace of mind, and provide a sense of accomplishment. All good things, but here's what they don't tell you in Ready Made. Crafts will break your heart. I'm not bagging on crafts. I love crafts. Right now, I'm reproducing a series of classic LP jackets in Needlepoint. I just finished Talking Heads Remain in Light. Two weeks ago, I knit a scarf that looked like 14 feet of uncooked ground beef. Fat streaks and all. If something doesn't move fast enough in my home, chances are I'll glue googly eyes and a pom-pom nose on it. But for every project that turns out as planned, another can go horribly awry. All seasoned crafters know this, but we rarely discuss it. It's our dirty little secret. Crafts can hurt. Recently, I devoted weeks to a complicated sweater full of calculated runs and holes for that distressed look. But as I neared completion, I realized that the finished article would be far too big for me and for anyone who isn't a pro wrestler. And yes, I checked my gauge before starting. So it sits in pieces hidden behind the couch in a hefty bag. Sometimes as I watch television, I can hear it whispering, you failed, loser. But even the most perfectly executed purse, skirt, or stuffed animal invites woe for the disciple of domestic arts. Brace yourself for rejection. Nothing is so devastating as discovering that your favorite cousin has banished that stocking cap you made for her last Christmas, the one with all the detailed duplicate stitching, to the furthermost corner of some dark closet, never to be seen again. <gasps> oh, wait, there is something worse. Watching that same relation plop some piece of mass-produced crap from Urban Outfitters on the, or the gap on her head before going out into the cold. Now, I could pontificate about how patronizing local independent clothing designers and artists is good for small business, cuts down on sweatshop labor, curtails global warming, improves digestion, yada, 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 quack, quack, quack. But I'm no economist. I'm just some guy with a crochet hook and a typewriter. My logic for supporting local craftspeople is much simpler. 
It reduces heartbreak. First of all, you minimize your own hurt feelings and wasted time. Mastering any domestic art requires practice and tons of trial and error. Oh, sure, you could spend weeks learning how to print your own t-shirt designs. <laughs> Be my guest. But before you do, look around. This city is lousy with folks who have already suffered the indignation of a hundred off-center screens and ink spills, not to mention run up massive student loans for degrees in design, just to get to the point where they can manufacture something eye-catching that speaks to your sense of style. And you're a hell of a lot less likely to run into someone else wearing your new favorite top if you go with a made-locally brand rather than picking the latest off-the-rack number from Old Navy. Secondly, local artists put themselves on the line when they ask you to open up your wallet, when you snatch up that handcrafted belt buckle and demand of the vendor, how much? You atone for every Father's Day gift he or she slaved over in shop class, then subsequently watched vanish into the recesses of Dad's sock drawer, untouched until that fateful garage sale. You get a new accessory, they skip a month of psychotherapy, everybody wins! This is not to say that the mental and fiscal well-being of every so-called artist and designer in your county is your responsibility. If something is poorly made, don't buy it. If you do, you're only encouraging sloppy workmanship. Back in the early days of indie craft fairs, I used to feel guilty if I left without purchasing something, anything, every single time. Support the community! My conscience would scream. What do I have to show for my good intentions? Several whimsical but shoddy man bags, now with busted straps or closures, taking up valuable space in my cramped apartment. Ask questions about techniques and materials. Don't be intimidated. Pretend you're Nina Garcia or Michael Kors. We can't all sew in a zipper, but most of us can recognize when it hasn't been done well. Better to notice flaws now than when your adorable new felted change purse splits open as you're fishing out change on the bus. Insurance premiums for artists don't run as high as for firefighters or police officers, nor should they. Our injuries are mostly minor, pricked fingers, blackened thumbnails, but craft-related broken hearts, those require community awareness to keep our numbers down. For everything else, there's hot glue. <laughs> Kurt B. Riley. Thank you. Welcome, Kurt. Why, thank you, Courtney. I'm delighted to be here. The book is United States of Americana, si. uh, a field guide to the New American Roots Movement. How do you define the New American Roots Movement? In the terms of this book, what we're talking about is all the fantastic American traditions, uh, pastimes, that missed a couple generations, things that our grandparents knew how to do, that our parents were familiar with in passing, and then for whatever reason decided, oh, modern convenience, look, something shiny, I'm going to eat frozen food. And they forgot how to preserve their own foods, mm -hmm. and now that the world is imploding, right. 
our generation wants to learn how to do that. So we want to learn how to fix our own shoes. And if I'm going to spend X amount of dollars on a pair of pants, are they really going to last? And Mm -hmm. where did they come from? And you have actually brought me a lovely can of uh, pickles. So you're obviously uh, walking the walk as well as talking the talk. I try to. I'm actually walking the walk in socks I knit myself. (laughs) Much better person than I. The book actually opens with a great onion headline. The U.S. Department of Retro warns we may be running out of past. I mean, why do you think that it seems that we're, that we're, that we're looking back so much these days? Uh, I think there are a couple things. Part of it is that life goes by so quickly now. We have so much information bombarding us all the time. And a lot of the things I'm talking about in the book, like preserving your own food or learning to do handcrafts, are things that do require concentration and an investment of time, and then you have something to show for it when you're done. A lot of these are are community activities. I didn't make those pickles by myself. I made them with a group of my friends. I think that's a big part of it as well. And I think people felt really disconnected from manufacturing. Manufacturing processes in our country have become so opaque. You know, it's just the food shows up. Yeah. Well, where did it begin, and how did it get here? And people are starting to ask that question, definitely. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. The book is United States of Americana. It's Kurt B. Riley. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Kurt B. Riley, and you're listening to LiveWire, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, whose Whole Planet Foundation creates economic partnerships and gives microcredit loans to developing world communities that supply their stores. The Whole Planet Foundation, giving microcredit where microcredit is due. More information can be found at wholeplanetfoundation.org. Uh, next. Uh, hi, just this. Uh, uh, problem? Well, it's just that you're, you're trying to rent the movie Top Dog. So? The 1995 action comedy starring Chuck Norris and his police dog. Yeah, I, it's pretty funny. I saw it in the theater, but I was you know, thinking about it the other day. And, and I, uh, are you renting this for like a project or something? Or What kind of project? Like are you doing a montage of crap films? No. Okay, so you really want to rent this movie and watch it because you think... It's enjoyable. I sure do. There's this one part where Chuck Norris kicks a guy through a window, and then there's all these cops looking around, but then the dog looks through the window. Look, I'm afraid I can't let you rent this. What are you talking about? This is a locally owned video store, one of the last in the country, and I can't in good conscience rent you this. Why the hell not? All right, let me explain something to you. If you want to rent Antonioni's The Passenger from 75 or River's Edge from 86, I can help you with that. I might even compliment you. If you want to rent a movie where a dog covers his eyes with his paws after a guy gets kicked in the groin, you should go to Blockbuster or some chain where nobody gives a damn. All right, well, why do you even have this movie in the first place? For ironic purposes. We don't realistically think people are going to pick them. Most people who come in here will saunter past that section and laugh. The proper response is, top dog, oh my God, that looks awful. See, wasn't that fun? 
All right, what section are you talking about? It's the stupid people with no taste section. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have to take this abuse. I'm a steady customer with no late fees who never enters the special adult area, no matter how bad I want to. You know, I am tired of you hipster jerks snickering every time I come up to the counter, whether it be with Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks or K-9 with Jim Belushi or Top Dog with Chuck Norris. I demand that my predilection towards buddy cop dog comedies be respected. Uh, you know, actually, I think we have a copy of Theodore Rex available. What is that? Whoopi Goldberg plays a tough detective who teams up with a talking dinosaur. <laughs> really? That sounds good. You see, this is what I am talking about. Oh. Besides, we only have the box. We threw the disc off a cliff. All right, well, well screw you, lady. I don't have to take this grief from you or anybody. I'm going to invent a way where people can rent whatever movie they want, no matter how embarrassing, and, and never have to endure this kind of public humiliation. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it, or my name isn't James D. Netflix. Sure, pal. Good luck with that. Our next guest is what you might call a renaissance woman. She is a writer, she's a musician, and a mechanical engineer. She's recorded solo records, and she's been a member of the popular band Dirty Martini. In 2009, she wrote a musical called Gracie and the Atom, which won the Best Original Score Award at the 2010 Drammy Awards. She hosted the Discovery Channel show Under New York, and her current gig is as one of three investigators on Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel, where they try to get to the bottom of some of our longest-running American mysteries, like the hidden messages in the Statue of Liberty and the ciphers protecting the lost Confederate gold. She's here tonight with something a little different. It's an essay she wrote about a religion she's hoping to start. Please welcome Christine McKinley to Livewire. I'm so pleased to talk to you guys because I am starting a new religion, and you can be uh, one of the first to join tonight. Actually, religion isn't quite the right word. It's a little heavy. It has a, has a negative connotation. This is, this is broader than that. It's more of a, a way of thinking, a way of life, a way for people to... It, it's a cult, is what it is. It's a cult. And it uses the laws of physics as its guiding principles. Um, since I'm a mechanical engineer, I use the laws of physics in my job to keep reactors from melting down and physics from and uh, buildings from falling down. But I've also made physics kind of a functional spiritual practice, and it's working very, very well for me. So um, let me tell you how I got here first, because I know your mother said if someone asks you to join a cult, hear them out, be polite, maybe go to dinner, spend a couple weeks at the compound, and that's all I'm asking you to do here. Um, <laughs> I started at Catholic high school, in a Catholic high school, not being one bit Catholic and not knowing anything about science, and I learned about the New Testament and science at the same time. So in second period, uh, we read about Jesus just casually walking over the Sea of Galilee on the water, and then uh, next period in physics, there was a really nice equation on the board describing buoyancy, and I thought, damn, that guy's a really good physicist. 
And then, and then later, when he was turning water into wine, we were turning bases into acids with Erlenmeyer flasks, and I thought, way to go, scientist Jesus. Nice, nice work. So then in New Testament, we continued to read about Jesus' uh, scientific and medical skills, which seemed perfectly reasonable to me, and how it freaked out the Romans, who were clearly all journalism majors or something. And, <laughs> and then in history class, uh, we learned about just incredibly bloody religious wars. And then in English class, we read about a woman who apparently had sex with a minister and then had to monogram all her sweaters with an A, even though her name started with an H. And then in health class, Sister Anne told us what sex was, though she had never tried it. So amidst all this madness in science class, the elements of the universe lined up politely in color-coded columns, sequentially numbered in the periodic table. So science clearly had its act together, and everything else was a gigantic mess. So I know what you're thinking about me and my cult right now. I know. You're thinking, I want to join, but I don't know enough about physics. <laughs> right? Okay. That's okay. We'll start with what you remember. Physics in high school? You remember not taking it, I think. <laughs> Damn it. Do you at least remember looking at Einstein's hair and thinking, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> this guy's a genius, right? And he looks like he passed out at a party and his friends jacked his hair with egg whites and a blow dryer. <laughs> Not genius material, but we will just start there. And I will not only translate three laws of physics into useful life lessons, but I will explain Einstein's hair. And if you're not completely moved and convinced by the end of this, you do not have to give me all of your worldly possessions and join my cult, but I would beg you to remember that you can't break the laws of physics, but they can break you. <laughs> not a threat, I'm just saying. So the first law. I'll just run through them. Gravity treats all objects equally. If you dropped a Buick and a marble from Hawthorne Bridge, it would hit the water at the same time. Gravity doesn't miss anyone, and it doesn't pick on anyone. So, and I know this is a, it's a hard one to get your head around because we do feel picked on by the universe a lot, but remember when everyone wished they were a Kennedy? And they were wealthy and powerful and good-looking and cool, and then, holy, what the hell happened? It's like gravity just waves her leveling hand. And I know that you can give me plenty of examples of gravity pulling someone down who doesn't deserve it or, or failing to level someone who really does deserve it. But let me just remind you that cults are built on a very limited life experience and a skewed personal perspective of one charismatic leader. And I am that charismatic leader. And I'm telling you, I've noticed that it kind of looks like everybody hits the water at the same time. <laughs> Conservation of momentum, principle two. Bodies at rest tend to stay at rest. Bodies in motion tend to stay in motion in that direction. I was, uh, I was in jail recently. It's, it's, it was just a misunderstanding um, <laughs> and a long story. But, and I was talking to people in holding for nine hours as they held me for nine hours in holding. And I noticed that it wasn't uh, one stupid thing that these people had done that got them jail. It was, a, it was an impressive string of stupid things, one after another, just... And uh, it looked like once their lives started rolling in a certain direction and they got some momentum, there was no way they could stop. And it was rolling right towards jail. So when you're thinking, I wonder what meth is like. It's a fair question, and, and it's not a moral question. It's just a conservation of momentum question. Do you want 
to do things that lead to a life full of parties with like fancy cheese and olive plates? Or does it send you, does that action send you in the direction of jail where I can tell you they serve white bread sandwiches with crusty lunch meat and, and they're made by inmate workers who are very likely to have used their body fluids as condiments. So just, it's just which way do you want to go? Law number three, and this is my favorite. Everyone's got a favorite physics principle, right? Second law of thermodynamics. This one's cool. Everything in the universe is tending to disorder. In our cult, we will call this entropy because that's what the smart people call it. <laughs> this includes you and your life. And you can try and fight this, this growing entropy and this disorder by, by really trying to stay extremely organized, by like alphabetizing your underwear. I don't know how you'd do that, actually. My last name of person who most recently removed it from you. But I can tell you have no idea what the last names are. First name? No? Je okay, just for you in particular, just go by general impression, like F for the fireman who responded to the alarm in the Seattle hotel. And but you see how difficult this is? It gets very stressful trying to organize everything. So you could just give up and revel in the disintegration, or you can direct the chaos. And, and here's how I do it. I look at my life as a little universe, my body and my car and my living space. And, and what we know about every universe, no matter how tightly you define it, is that entropy increases. And I could prove this to you. It would take hours, and there'd be two or three of you left just fascinated by the whole thing. But, but we won't. So what I do is I throw all my gum wrappers and dirty plastic forks and the unalphabetized undergarments in the floor of my, the passenger side of my car. And, and I do it with an intentional flourish to let the gods of entropy know that I'm serious about this. This is my offering to them. And I allow that to just be a visible and embarrassing disaster, that one part of my life. And if someone gets in the car and looks at me like, what the, I just, I don't know. I, I just can't do any better than that. I just, it's the best I can do right there. And the benefit, I don't have cancer. I have allowed entropy to take over one part of my life that's unimportant to me so it doesn't mess with things that I care about more, like my breasts. Now, if your entire life is a trash can, your hair and your bathroom floor and your relationships and your living space and your yard and your body, um, as your new cult leader, I would ask you this. Who has included you in their little universe and made you their dumping ground of disorder? Or do you have some unspoken agreement with the universe and with your friends and family that if you remain a mess, no one will ask anything of you? And what happens if you clean up your little universe? Who freaks out and what is now required of you? Now, I know cult leaders are allowed to be insane, but I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not insane. I know that bad things still happen to good people, no matter what principles they faithfully follow. But it comes down to this for me. Some people see evidence of Jesus and Muhammad and signs of the Kabbalah in their daily lives. I see energy, momentum, light, gravity, every day behaving the same way consistently as though they've made me a promise. Like they're saying, we won't trick you, we won't change, and we will be the same for eternity and wait patiently for you to understand us. And if you do understand us, you will understand everything. And that's what I want. I want to understand absolutely everything. And I'm nowhere near there, but I get little hints every day. From gravity, I see that life isn't easy for anyone. Conservation of momentum tells me to be very careful in which direction I move. And the second law of thermodynamics tells me that chaos just happens. Allow just enough 
but not too much. Let something that really doesn't matter become an absolute mess. And now do you understand Einstein's hair? The guy was a genius. Christine McKinley. Um, I love that piece. It really speaks to me. I'm the garbage can, the human oh. garbage can. So, right. yeah, I thought that was great. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for telling me I'm a mess. Um, I want to talk quickly about the show um, and, and actually asking you about the jail story, I think, is connected to the show in some way. How'd you end up in jail, McKinley? Well, here's the thing about doing reality television is that you it's so easy to forget when... Uh, you really are in reality, you know, because there's this hyper-reality and cameras are on and you've got your body mic on and, oh, it's dangerous, and, woo, woo, woo. and it is dangerous. A lot of what we do is dangerous and it's weird and risky, but then the crew wasn't there and I was handcuffed and pulled out of a Russian river and in a car and then I had to take the piercings out in jail. It was not pretty. And I kept thinking <laughs> that somebody, we were, it was, we were um, investigating Bohemian Grove and we were on the property of Bohemian Grove. It, yeah, explain what Bohemian Grove is quickly if you can. It's a summer camp for powerful men. And yeah, a lot of people think that, that some seriously important things have been decided there, and it's only men are allowed. Yes. And there's a lot of security. There is a lot of security, um, really effective security. Uh, <laughs> extremely. And even if a guy doesn't look fast there, he is very fast, as it turns out. And he, he may have worked in Iraq, uh, and he may be a Blackwater private, as I found out, assassin kind of Uh-huh. Guy. Did it feel like it was worth it being, I mean, being on, being in Bohemian Grove? Like, was that exciting enough to... It was worth it at the time because we got up an hour of really great footage, uh, which somehow didn't get shown on television. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Okay. Inter somehow didn't there get shown on television. There is absolutely nothing going on at Bohemian Grove. <laughs> learn in jail, McKinley? What'd you learn? Um, the, I was in there with one of the co-hosts, with Buddy, and uh, I had to, you can't wear shoes, so, and we had come in with very wet clothing, so they kind of stripped us and put mm -hmm. us in, in their clothing, and I walked in to go to the bathroom at one point and came back, and Buddy and I were huddled together figuring out, like, does anyone know we're here? How do we get, how do we get out? And he said to me, your socks smell like pee. <laughs> And then about every hour or so, he would remind me as I tried to be very serious about how are we going to get out of here, what are we going to do, who can we call, what numbers do we remember? Your socks smell like pee, McKinley. <laughs> I know that. Bomber. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm going to join your cult. Um, I'm looking oh, forward to that. And we hope that there's a second season of Decoded and that, then that hopefully you'll keep coming back to Portland. Christine McKinley, everybody. Thank you. Livewire Radio offering up comedy, music, and conversation in deliciously digestible bursts. We'll be right back after this short break.
it's time for the... Audience Haiku! We have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of haiku. Mysteries, illnesses, and thermal underwear. Faces Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Mr. Jim Brunberg. Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company. Tonight featuring the new Mighty Arrow Pale Ale, named for the brewery's beloved dog, Arrow. It'll make you want to sit, speak, and rub that belly. And if you do it right, hair of the dog needn't be an issue. And now, audience haiku! Oh, Mr. Jim Brumberg, can I get something sexy and classy? Love's trajectory. Victoria's secret to thermal underwear. Roger, I'm so sorry. Uh, Jim, I need something that you might hear um, in a sick room. You know, you got somebody kind of laid up. Mm, not feeling so good. <laughs> I have an illness. No mystery as to why. I should stop whoring. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. And now, please welcome from the audience, Gina, here to read her haiku that rhymes. Could I get something chilly but passionate? (laughs) Hey there, won't you share? Really cold out there. Need some thermal underwear. Thank you, Gina. Good job, Gina, and good job, audience, on the audience haiku. Music tonight brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Good Seed Killer Light. You know how in the bad seed, that weird girl, the pigtails, did all that mean stuff? Well, this is the opposite of that. (laughs) Nothing but whole grains, omega-3s, and fiber. Man, that girl was weird. (laughs) Dave's Killer Bread. Just say no to bread on drugs. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the thermals. Just 
And now, as promised, the man who's going to help us to digest everything that we've seen in the last hour, please welcome Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. <laughs> I learned tonight that I want to keep my options open, like I think I should have a canine sidekick named Doogie Hauser that I could use as a walker just in case I crack my pelvis open and need to use it as a walker while I'm solving a crime in a quaint oceanside beach town because Angela Lansbury has hit the bottle the last few years and the town with a population of 112 has 108 murderers in it and needs some serious help just in case Chuck Norris's brother wants to write a crappy movie about it that would later be put in hipsters' movie stores as an ironic shelf decoration to demonstrate their hipster credentials to all of those in the know. (laughs) 
you never know when you might need to keep that option open. <laughs> and while I'm keeping my options open, I might as well get a Hummer to carry Doogie Hauser, but I want a hydroponic garden in it and a hydroponic gardener named Harvey in it. That way, as I'm riding down the road and hipsters yell at me, I could throw beautiful, ripe, and elegantly ribbed carrots at their whiny little heads like beautiful <laughs> organic missiles. That'd be a nice option to keep open as well. Just in case I'm riding down the road in my Hummer with the thermals rocking on the box and the lines on the highway are like beautiful Morse code, dash, dash, dash to the music, and I'm wondering what does that spell in Morse code going 400 miles an hour in a vehicle that was originally designed to liberate non-freedom-oriented people by oil company executives trying to remember what dash, dash, dash means in Morse code with my hydroponic gardener yelling, faster, 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 you never listen to me. And I'm replying, I'm listening. I'm going 400 miles an hour. What the hell do you want? Your demands are unreasonable, Harvey. You need to just let me drive. I just want to keep the option open of leaving a bag of crochet behind one of the passenger seats so I can yell, Harvey, just knit me a damn sweater and shut the hell up. <laughs> because you need to have your thoughts clear and your options open if you want to become a scientist Jesus in the religion of physics as you're trying to figure out in your head if you can walk on the water of the lake you're quickly coming up upon at 400 miles an hour wearing socks that violently smell like pee. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our guests tonight, Kurt Riley, Christine McKinley, and The Thermals. The Mutton Chops are Jim Brumper, Reed Waltsmith, and Paul Evans. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Fitch & Associates, and the Falcon Art Community. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as You Fine People. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. LiveWire is created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Our senior producer is Robin Tannenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Sean McGrath, and Scott Poole. Performers Tyler Hughes, Trisha Ferguson, and Siren of Sound, Pachanowski. Our guest writer this week is Timmy Williams. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeffrey Hilton Simmons. Production management by Drew Flint. Stage management by Matt King. Guest wrangling by Ferial Harbin. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Whole Foods Market. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Social media coordinator is Trent Finley. Our publicist is Cassell Communications. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Our development specialist is Bree Gregg. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is your announcer, Tyler Hughes, with an unexpected twist. This was all a dream. Or was it? <laughs> what? Not a dream? Okay, I'm being told that this all really happened. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, 
Uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.